All right, if you can hear me, say yeah. All right, four people can hear me. There we go. Okay. All right, well, good morning. Um, so, obviously, I am not Aaron Wine. Um, my name's Luke. For those of you that don't know, Aaron has asked me to teach today. So, I'm super excited. And, um, yeah, I'm excited to teach. And just so you all know, like, we're in Exodus. And when Aaron told me to teach, he sent me the, like, text me the passage and I looked at it and it was the Passover and I just quickly started looking through. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, cause it's, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. And, um, but man, the Lord has taught me so much through digging in this passage and asking questions like, okay, why is that? Like, I don't understand, but the Lord's taught me a lot. Some things I didn't really get a grip on. A lot of things the Lord really taught me. So, um, but yeah, I want to challenge you guys this morning as I, share God's word and what it says and what it means, um, just to ask you guys to kind of get out of the church mindset in a way. I know that sounds bad maybe, but don't just let me hear things like, like what Aaron taught on last week, like uh, a plague where locusts darkened the sky because there were so many of them. We're just like, that's cool. Or the, the Red Sea turns in, the Dead Sea or the, the river turns into blood and all the land and we're just kind of like, it's cool. Like, oh, it's cool. Like, what? Like, this is crazy stuff. Like, this is cool. So let's kind of just almost like you, maybe you've never heard this story before, some of you. And those of you who have, just think of it like you haven't, maybe, okay? So, um, yeah, let's pray and ask the Lord to teach us and to just make his, uh, fill this room with his presence. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you uh, this morning for the opportunity we have to come and talk about you and um, to look at your word, Lord, to see what you would say to us. Lord, that through the, the story of you saving your people, Lord, you would speak directly to our hearts. Um, Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of Exodus, or if you brought your little journal, we're going to be in chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. All right, so just real quick, some people fire some things off. What did Aaron talk about last week? A little nuggets of truth. Three, two, one, go. Gotta be brave. Who said that? Jacob, what? First nine plagues. And what did he, what was kind of his main point, Jacob? Say that again. Yes, yes, so God, uh, Aaron went through all of the nine plagues, uh, the nine of the 10, and he talks about how they were so significant and how they um, showed that the Egyptian gods were not the true God. And so that theme is gonna continue. So if you're taking notes, I'm gonna give you the main point of today, the main idea, and it's this, the Lord shows his might and power to make it clear that he is God alone. Let me say that again. The Lord shows his might and power to make it clear that he is God alone. There is no one like him. So let me just jump you right into the story. So we've just finished the first nine plagues and then there's one more plague and Moses goes up to uh, Pharaoh with Aaron and he says this, okay? And you don't have to read along, just listen briefly. This is from verse uh, chapter 11. 
He said, so Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go throughout the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. And from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. So here's this idea. Moses just goes to Pharaoh and says that the firstborn of every man and beast and slave girl who's, uh, and then later it says someone who's in the dungeon, all the firstborn in the whole land of Egypt is going to die. And you guys probably know, but does Pharaoh change his mind? Does he let the people go? No, it says that God hardens his heart. I know Aaron had to talk about this, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And why did he do that? Um, the last, one of the last things that, and you'll see throughout this whole passage, that God is doing all of this to make himself known, that his works would be seen as marvelous and that he alone is God. Okay, so now, chapter 12, we're gonna read the first 13 verses, so you guys read along with me. Exodus chapter 12, verse one through 13, here we go. Listen to the details. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Okay, pause right there. Just note, everything that comes behind this resets the calendar. God says this will be the first month of the year from now on, okay? So verse three. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for his household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his near neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to each of what each can eat shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then shall, they shall take some blood and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat of any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the, Lord, the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Okay. So does that make total sense to you guys? You totally understand what's going on? David's like, yeah, got it. Got it, good. Um, so a few things that I just wanna point out really quick. You can write them down if you want to, but just notice a few details and also just allow your mind to think of maybe other events that happen in the Bible, okay? So one of the first things that stands out is verse three, and it talks about how uh, Jesus says that this month will be the, the beginning of months. 
And so whatever is about to happen, like I said, is, is so important, it's gonna reset their calendar. Almost in a way that God wants them to remember what's about to happen forever. So they're resetting the calendar. And then another thing that's interesting is it says that they, on the 10th day, they should go get a lamb, a perfect lamb. And then on the 14th day, they'll slaughter it. So why all that time? As I was studying, it seems that God wanted to go find a lamb because this was not something to be done quickly or in haste or trying to scramble to find a sacrifice, but this would be something they could think through and really put their attention toward finding a perfect lamb and they would be prepared. Another thing that I found was interesting is that this sacrifice was for, it wasn't for individuals. They're described and asked to do this as households. And so the picture that, and we'll see later on why this is important, but that they're supposed to do this as households. And so basically, all the households in Israel will all be together and that one animal will be broken for all, will be sacrificed for all, and it will be a sign of their deliverance. It's this kind of a picture of unity. Another thing is um, the lamb was to be without blemish. What does that mean? No yeah. No imperfections. It's supposed to be your best. The best you have. Not a spotted lamb. Not one you're not really fond of, but your best. It's a sacrifice to God, so it must be your best. And so just keep that in mind. And then the blood. It says in verse 7, I'm going to read it again. And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lentils of the house in which they eat it. And then later it says, and when I see the blood, I will pass over and no plague will befall to destroy you. So let's think about that for a second. Why did God choose for them to put blood on the doorpost? Do we think that God needed to be able to see a sign so that he could know, oh yeah, those are my people. Those are my faithful people in that house. Do you think God needed that? No, of course not. He didn't need that. In previous plagues, it just says that, I think it was uh, the gnats. He said, but my people in Goshen and the, my Israelites, they will not be they will not be affected by this. God already knew, but this is what's important. God chose blood to be a sign. Blood would be the thing that would divert his wrath and his judgment and would ultimately be the thing that would set them free. So keep that in mind. God chose that blood would be the sign of deliverance. And then another thing that's so cool is that it says that, um, let's see, God will go house to house. Do you think God also, did he need to be that close? He said, I will be there and I will pass over the house. Do you think God himself had to do that? Could he not have sent angels to do that? Sure, he could have, but he chose to make this personal and personal to each home. And so I think we can, we can hear that and say that God, the way he delivers his people is personal. And he knows the people and he knows and he cares about the families of his people. So that is what was said was going to happen. That was God himself explaining what was gonna happen. So now let's read what actually happens, okay? So let's go to uh, chapter 12, verse 29. Chapter 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne 
to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt and there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So what just takes place? So this is the 10th plague, the 10th affliction and tragedy that happens to these Egyptian people. And this is the final one where we see Pharaoh is broken and he demands and urges them, get out. Get out of our, our, be away from our people. And so this is how God is going to deliver his people. So a few things to make a note of. Can you imagine being among the Egyptians where in every home at the same time, someone passed away? And not only did that happen, but they knew it was going to happen. Imagine the parents staying up at night, wanting to be near their, old, their firstborn because they were told that they were going to die. And we already know that these people had begun to fear the Lord. When the hail came, many of them believed that what God said was true and they brought them in the shelter. They were terrified and they had no way of defending themselves. But the Israelites did. God gave them a very specific sacrifice to make in order to be saved. And so another thing that we see, do you think it's odd that in verse um, 32 at the very end, Pharaoh says, bless me also. Say, get out and bless me also. What does that tell us? Somebody answer this for me. What does that tell us about Pharaoh's attitude? It changed, right? It went from, I'm not gonna be broken. This was tough, but you're not, I'm not letting your people go. And then he says, get out, go, and please, almost like spare me, like Ask God to bless me. Pharaoh's attitude has totally changed. And what was God's main task? What's the main point of this? That the Lord will show his might and power to make it clear that he is God alone. Do you think Pharaoh finally understood this? His gods couldn't do anything. The way that they believed life to be was just shattered. And he said, this must be God. Bless me also. And so then we're gonna kind of change gears a little bit. The next, we're not gonna read any of it, but the next like 35 verses is all about the importance that um, God wanted to make it clear that the, that the Israelites never forgot this truth. That they didn't just go on and leave Egypt and forget what God did. He wanted to remember his deliverance. And so he talks about how they're supposed to do this. Passover, which is the killing of the lamb and partaking in this sacrifice year after year after year, every month, uh, the first year of the month, on the 10th day to go to select a lamb. They're supposed to do this indefinitely, to never forget. And one of the things I think is so cool, after 430 years of slavery, they leave, and the 14th day, you think this is by chance, but it was a full moon. Perfect for people trying to, almost a million people leaving a city, right? And, And going out into the night full moon. I think that's so cool. But one of the things it says, why it's so important to remember, and it says this in um, chapter 13, verse 14. It says, and when in time, when the time, excuse me, verse 14, and when in time 
Your, come, your son comes and asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. So that for, for years and years and years and years to come, this was supposed to be a sign to the people that God brought them out of Egypt and by a strong hand, he saved them. So this is pretty, this is pretty intense stuff, right? We don't, we don't hear about this stuff all the time. Like, oh yeah, God delivered people and he did it through a, a sacrifice of a lamb. But one thing I, I want you guys to think about and someone to answer me, God commands here, for years and years and years and years and years to come to continue making this Passover sacrifice year after year after year as a way to remember what he's done and the way he delivered them and promised them the promised land and took them out of slavery and he promised them to do this Passover year after year after year. So the question is, why don't we do it? We're God's people, why aren't we sacrificing a Passover lamb annually to remember God's great deliverance from slavery. Why? Because it's not necessary anymore. That's right. He said it's not necessary anymore. Why? Bingo. That's right. So basically... The idea is that this Passover lamb is no longer needed because Jesus came and was our ultimate sacrifice. Isn't that incredible? And it just gets better, okay? So now, you don't have to go there. I'm just gonna go really quickly. But this is so, this is so cool to me as I'm studying this. It was like something just clicked in my brain, like, wow, like God, you are so awesome. So here's this Passover lamb, and again, this Passover lamb and the sign of blood was a sign of deliverance out of slavery and promised the promised land, finally free. And so John the Baptist, you guys have heard about him some. John the Baptist, God um, sent John the Baptist to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his way straight. And so in uh, John chapter one, verse 26, you don't have to go there, but John sees Jesus approaching. And what does John say? Some of you already know. But John says, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Is that not cool? Behold the Lamb of God. Do you think that John understood what was happening? Do you think John understood the Passover? That is so cool to me. He just makes it so clear. Behold the Lamb of God, the one who is gonna die in our place and set us free and his blood will be a sign of our deliverance and freedom from slavery. And then, um, again, so the Israel, Israelites, they continue to this Passover year after year after year. And on the 10th day of the first month of the year, everyone would go select a lamb, a perfect lamb. Remember that, a perfect lamb. And would select it to be the one that would die for, would be sacrificed to the Lord on behalf of their household. So that very day, if you guys, you guys know what great, uh, um, Good Friday is, right? Where Jesus sits on the colt and he rides into Jerusalem. You wanna know what day that was? The 10th day of the first month. The Lamb of God rides on a donkey into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God. 
the day that those Israelites would go and select their lamb, this lamb of God would come and be delivered. Is that not cool or what? Let's keep going. So then I'm gonna go here and you can, if you want, Matthew chapter uh, 26. So a few days after Jesus goes into Jerusalem as the lamb of God, and people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is with his disciples and they ask him, where will we do the Passover? Where can we prepare to do this Passover that we've been doing ever since we left Egypt? Where can we do that? And Jesus tells them, go find this man. He's just gonna let you into his house. That's a miracle. Takes you upstairs. They have the Passover. And then after they eat, in uh, verse 26, of ver- chapter 26, verse 26, I'm gonna read this. Jesus says this to his disciples. Uh, so now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You guys see what's happening? You seeing any parallels here? What happened in Egypt? Thousands, uh, 1,500 years is what, that, what I read before. This lamb sets them three, and now Jesus is saying, take this, this is my body. Drink this, this is my blood, and it will be for the forgiveness of sins. You guys see what's happening? And as I'm, as I'm studying this, and I knew this because it's such a beautiful part of the gospel, but it was just so much stronger to me. Wow, like God has been, ever since the beginning of time, God has been preparing this ultimate sacrifice to set us all free. And then a couple verses, uh, chapters later, um, in my Bible, it's chapter, well, all of our Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 27, around 45. I won't read all of it, but I wanna read a part to you. This is Jesus when he's on the cross. Again, the Lamb of God who's gonna set us free He's on the cross. Um, in verse 50, it's just one verse. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, at, this is at the same time, so let me read that again. And, behold, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Verse 51. And behold, the curtain in the temple was torn into from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's an intense moment right there. But the, the importance of that, the temple curtain, do you guys know much about that? The temple curtain separated the people and the priests from the very presence of God. God's presence abided in the temple. And so they would go to the temple to do sacrifices and no one was allowed in that room. No one had access to that room. And I, there was something about it talks about how they would tie a rope around priests that would have to go into that room to serve a sacrifice to the Lord just in case he was not holy. They would have to pull him out because he would die. The manifest presence of God that was inaccessible, the moment Jesus dies on the cross and breathes his last, what happens? That curtain torn in two and the presence of God is now accessible to his people. No more sacrifices, 
No more having to do these, rich, these things that have commanded. It's done. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it was finished. So here's the beauty of it. Um, and we're wrapping up here. If I can have three guys volunteer for me. Thanks, David. All right. Alexander. Yes. And remind me your name. Gideon, y'all come up here. All right. So right here, sir, Alexander. David. That's me. And Gideon. All right, so just for right now, you go sit right back. I'll call you right back up. Okay, so let's just, let's just everything that we just talked about, I just want to kind of hope this paints a picture for you and, and also for me, just the beauty of what just happened, this Lamb of God dying on the cross, giving us access to the very presence of God. So let's just kind of go from the beginning of creation to where we are right now. Y'all cool with that? In about two minutes. So here we go. So David, we're gonna say that you're God. That's a pretty high title to hold, okay? <laughs> Be careful, okay? okay. Um, so David, we're gonna say that he is God for this analogy. This is God. God is perfect and holy and righteous. He's the creator of all things. And holiness, that's one of the things I just said, holiness totally other than us, totally separate from us. And can have nothing to do with sin, okay? okay. You created everything. You, did you create humans at some point? I guess so. You don't know? God? I mean, yeah. Okay. Did. He did. And he created man named? Gideon. Nope. Well, I, the I, first one. The first man. The first man. Oh. Adam. Adam. All right. So this is Adam. You good with that, Gideon? We're going to call you Adam. So created uh, this fellowship. You guys, in the beginning had this great fellowship. Nothing, nothing separated them. You know, Adam definitely knew his place, knowing God. And, but they had this perfect communion, right? right. They, uh, and in Genesis, it talks about that God would come and just walk in the garden with them. And, and Adam had a, knew who God was. But Adam, what happened after a little while in the garden? What, what, what did you do that was not... Yeah, so he ate the fruit. God said, one thing you cannot do, don't eat from this one tree. And thank you, perfect. He ate this fruit and sin came into the world. The curse and the slavery and the bondage to sin came into the world and separated these two. God can no longer have anything to do with his creation because of sin. And there's this gap. It's almost like... A, I wanted to bring like a black towel or something and just put it over Adam's head as a way of just, he could have nothing to do with this holy and righteous God that he once had communion with. So let me back up. Y'all stay right there. Is this a problem? God created us to know him and to be in awe of him and to be able to worship him and to know the God who created all things. This is a huge problem. So what did God do to solve this problem? Somebody tell me. Jesus. All right, Alexander. So here is this gap that cannot, and nothing can be done about this. And the, penny, the penalty for sin is death. And God can't go back on that. He can't just say, 
I forgive you because the penalty for death, the penalty for sin is death. And that separates you from God. So Jesus comes and Jesus bridges this gap. Thank you. Perfect. I don't even have to be up here. So see what happens? Jesus comes, the Lamb of God, slain in our place, now gives, because when he says, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me live for you. You're forgiven. And Jesus did all of that. And now God, the very presence of God, can interact with us because of this sacrifice. What a beautiful thing. And so God, when you look at your creation, Adam, what do you see? Who do you see? Maybe it would be a better question. When you look at your creation. My children. Yes, but you see what's in between. Jesus. Jesus, right? So there is something in between. God, when he looks at us, he sees who? Jesus. Jesus. Maybe you could even say the blood of Jesus. That sign that God shows to be the sign of faithfulness, to his people of Israel that set them free is this. So y'all just hang tight right here. This is the main point that I'm so excited about and that we can, we must not forget. The same God in Israel, or, or the same God of Israel, listen to what he does. He, he, he kills a lamb and the blood of that lamb was a sign that these people will not die they will be free from death, they will be free from slavery, and they will be able to go to the promised land. Do you see that? The, the lamb that was slain back in Egypt. Let me say it again, make sure you're with me. That lamb, then the blood of that lamb was the sign that allowed us to be free from our sin, or uh, them from their slavery, gave them life, not death, and then gave them the promised land, is the same symbol of this Jesus, the Lamb of God, who came and died on a cross, and his blood sets us, this is you and me, sets us free from our sin. You could say slavery. We do not, our penalty is not death. God gives us life, and we are promised this promised land called heaven. Do you see that beautiful picture? And you guys can go sit down. Give him a round of applause. So do you all see the beauty of that? That this God from the beginning of time has been orchestrating events to show that he was going to save his people. And he, he allowed it back in Egypt that the blood of a lamb would be the very thing that gives them life, that sets them free from slavery and gives them this promised land. And for us today, the blood of Jesus, not our works, not our trying hard, but this blood sets us free, gives us life, gives us freedom from our sin and gives us eternity with God. Isn't that beautiful? And that is what we get to live in. And so like God said to the, the, the Israelites, don't forget this. And you and I cannot forget what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, making a way for us to know the Father. And that is, that is what changes us. It's not our own doing. You and I bring absolutely nothing to the table. But it's the blood of Jesus. When he looks at you, when he looks at me, he sees the blood of his son and he says it's paid for. It is done. 
And so you and I can live our lives not trying hard and not putting in all this effort, but just resting the fact that Jesus has paid it all. And now I can live with him in freedom. And so as we just wrap up, um, I just want you to think about these things uh, at your table. Ask yourself these questions. You know, look at back at what God did in Egypt and how that is so similar to what Jesus did on the cross. And now, how does that affect the way we live now?